Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, God's Love for Us. And this is lesson number 16 in this series. And uh, we want to talk about growing in the love of God. Growing in the love of God. Uh, developing a relationship with God is a progressive thing. A developing relationship with God is a progressive thing. Uh, nobody starts at uh, the finish line. Nobody starts at the finish line. Everybody starts at the starting line. Reaching the finish line of the race Paul referred to is a process. That's one uh, analogy. Uh, but the other analogy is the analogy of similar to uh, a marriage. Uh, in my 52 years of ministry, I've married a lot of people. And I make a statement about that, that people look at me strange and they want to argue with me. Uh, but I got experience on my side and they're just beginning. And that is I've never married two people who were in love. They all thought they were in love, but they weren't in love. Because you can't love somebody that you don't know. Not really. And people getting married think they love each other. They know each other. They think they know each other. But they don't. Until you have lived together with someone in a in the bonds of a vow where you can't just break up with them. <laughs> you know, you can't live together with them and say, I'm moving out. No big deal. No, no, no legal, whatever. You weren't legally bound and you can legally leave anytime you want to. Until you're bound to somebody uh, and make a vow to them and live with them, you don't get to know them. I've been married uh, in a couple of months, 52 years. And I'll tell you right now, I am learning about my beloved every day. I learn things about her every day I didn't know. And uh, I, we have a wonderful relationship. But I wouldn't trade this relationship right now for nothing compared to the relationship I'll have with her next year. I wouldn't trade that relationship for the relationship that I will have with her in five years. Uh, we're, we're shooting for 75 if the Lord doesn't come. Uh, and the relationship I have now, while it was nice to be younger in a lot of ways, uh, there was also a lot of stuff I didn't know. And, and uh, with my focus, I'm really not an easy person to live with. But God has mellowed me, believe it or not, in many, many, many different ways. And I hope that I'm a much better husband at almost 52 years of marriage than I was even 10 years ago. And I know I was a better husband 10 years ago than I was 20 years ago. And so on, all the way back to the beginning. The problem was, like... Everybody else I've married, when I, we got married, I thought I had a handle on it. I really thought I knew how this was supposed to work. And quite frankly, 
I don't know how she survived me. It has to be the grace of God and the love of God. I, that's got to be the only way she survived me because it was not easy for her. Okay? So uh, it's, it's a progressive thing. It's, love is progressive, including agape. Not because agape changes, but the, the amount of effect we allow agape to have on us changes. So while agape itself doesn't change because God is agape and he's unchangeable, uh, the effect I have allowed agape to have on me uh, has changed constantly. And that's what's so amazing about it. You think you give yourself wholly to God. Okay, here I am, Lord. Here's all of me. And that's your, what you, you're intending, what you intend, you say what you intend, you just don't know that what you think you're giving is not all of it. You think it is, but it's not. And as time goes on, you find there are areas in your life you haven't really given to him yet. And it's the same thing in marriage. And so uh, this is one of the most important things that, that God has worked in me on and changed my whole focus of life. Uh, when we're younger, both naturally and spiritually, we seek his help to do. Naturally, when we're younger, we're trying to do, we're trying to accomplish, we're trying to whatever. Uh, spiritually, we're trying to do. We we're asking for his help to help us do. But when we get older in God, that all changes. It begins to change. It's not an overnight change, but it begins to change us. And we change when we begin to, we realize and he begins to show us. We don't figure it out. He begins to explain it to us. It's called revelation. Uh, that when we get older, we seek his help to be. We seek his help to be. We, we start out and some for a long time, the focus was doing. But as you get older and you get more mature, naturally and spiritually, your focus is that you're seeking him to be. Why? Because he is the doer through us. We don't know that. We're trying to do for him, live for him, work for him. We're trying to be doers for him. But with the process of time, God makes it very clear that he can do anything. He can find, he can, he can, he can talk to a donkey. He can talk from a tree that burns but doesn't get consumed. He can, he can talk in a hurricane. He can talk in a tornado. He can talk in a whisper. He can talk in fire. He can talk in any way he wants to. He can talk. He can get it done. God can get it done. But he's much more interested in us being what he wants us to be so he can do through us what he desires to do. Uh, being, being rather than doing is dependent upon 
the maturity of our fellowship with him. And we think we know who God is. We think we understand about God. We think we've got a handle on God. Uh, but as we grow in our knowledge of God, and he is teaching us, and I, when I say grow in knowledge, I'm talking about degrees from a university. I'm talking about the knowledge that only comes from relationship. Uh, as we fellowship with him, and we grow in our relationship with him. Uh, we begin to understand how great he is, both as the creator and originator of all this, and also as the Lord, supreme ruler of all. And as we grow in that, we realize, and we're fellowshipping with him, and in this growing knowledge of him, then we realize that being is important. Jesus said to the disciples, who do men say that I am? He didn't say, what do men say that I do? Who do men say that I am? And then they said, well, some say you're this and that the other. Well, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And when, when they answered the question of who he is, properly he he then revealed to them who they were thou art Peter upon this rock I will build my church gates of hell shall not prevail against it so you you know I'm the Christ and I'm telling you now I'm making you my church and after he is death burial and resurrection ascension then his church became his body and he went from being Christ to being the head of the body, Christ, the church. And so this being, we, we learn and grow in God as he teaches us that being is more important than doing because if we're doing without being, God doesn't really accept that. But once we become the be, the being who we're supposed to be, that what we're supposed to be allows him to do through us what he wants to do through us. The other thing that happens is the more we grow in him, the more we become, he becomes in us what he wants to be in us, allowing us and making us in him what he wants us to be to him, he's then able to work through us to others in ways that we cannot possibly imagine accomplishing as a doer. Now, the problem is, and I say problems, the challenge is, is a better way of putting it. Some people receive giftings from God uh, and they they focus on the operating of those giftings and completely lose sight of the um, the motive and the purpose of the gifting. I can if the gifts and call of God without repentance, God gives me a gifting, I can use that gifting. But too many that I've seen operate the gifts, and they really do operate the gifts but they don't 
Uh, what is the way I want to put this, or the Lord wants to put this? Uh, they do it to attract attention to themselves. They do it so people will be impressed by what they can do, even though it's not them doing it. So gifts can, the great potential of a gift has just as much potential, negative potential, potential for harm. And that's, a, that's true in no, both the natural, but also in the spiritual. Anything, the greater the potential for good and God that something has, the equally greater potential, the great, the equally, uh, a great potential that thing has for the adversary to use to do negative. If I'm wrong, if my motive is wrong, if I don't know God, if I don't have a relationship with God, if I'm not walking with God, if I'm not submitted to God. Now, again, growing in a relationship with Jesus is a process. A process is a function of time, both of time invested and time elapsed. Now, we call that experience. Now, time can elapse and I'm not doing anything. I don't gain experience. I can invest something in, in something right now, but no time has elapsed and I don't have an experience. To have experience, which is how we grow, there has to be both time invested and time elapsed. Experience is a function of time, but not just a function of time. Experience is a function of time and also of the investment of ourselves in that thing that we're gaining experience in. Now, here's the challenge. I must be both patient with myself and persistent in pursuit of Jesus at the same time. So I've got to pursue Jesus. And I want to pursue Jesus with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But I'm not going to do that perfectly, and he's not going to let me do that perfectly. He's not going to let it. So I've got to not only be persistent in my pursuit of Jesus, but I've got to be patient with myself by his grace in the fact he's not going to let me do this perfectly. I'm not going to go from the, I'm not going to reach the finish line from the starting line. I've got to trend. I've got to go through this process that starts here, but ends here. I've got to go through that. Now, if I know Jesus, that requires me caring and communicating with him and spending or investing time in his presence. Why? Because that's the principle. If I want to know anyone, I have to care about them. I have to communicate with them. And I have to companionably spend time with them. Now, with the advent of technology, there's a lot of people trying to build a relationship with somebody on social media or by texting or phone calls or even uh, 
even uh, a FaceTime or something similar to that. And all of that is better than nothing. Each one of those is better than the last. But none of them are a substitute for personal interaction, face-to-face, human-to-human, without technology's assistance. And again, when God sends me where my wife can't go with me on occasions, for whatever reason she can't go, I'm very thankful for text messages and emails and phone calls and sometimes FaceTime. I'm very, I'm very thankful for that, but I'm not satisfied with that. I'm thankful for it, but I'm not satisfied with that. And a lot of people, they have a communication with Jesus, but it's impersonal through some kind of spiritual type technology. I'm not talking about literal technology, but, but through, you know, it's kind of, it's not, re, it's maybe face to face, but there's, it's not face to face with Jesus. And that doesn't work. Now, in a previous lesson, I mentioned Mary and Martha. I, I want to just spend a few minutes here as I come finish this lesson, actually reading the scriptures and making a couple of comments because uh, while she's not named uh, exactly the same, but when you study it, you find the same one that washed Jesus' feet with her tears and dried his feet with the hairs of her head, and anointed his feet with a precious ointment, is the same one that is the Mary in the story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. And when she, when Judas, because he kept the purse and was stealing from it, said, what a waste this is that he she put this on your feet, this was very expensive. She could have gone and sold this and could have been given to the poor. Of course, it had made its way to the poor through his through the purse. He was the treasurer of their group, and he took personal money out of that, calling he was a thief. And so uh, Jesus looked and said, The poor have you always. But she's done this unto my burial, even though he wasn't dead yet. And... Wherever the gospel is preached, this will be preached as a memorial to her. So that means she is a memorial in principle about how to have a relationship with God. So Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. The word receive there means that she welcomed him into her house. Now the mother is never mentioned in the Bible. The father is, and I won't go into that now because there's not enough time in the remainder of this lesson. But the mother's never mentioned. That means apparently Martha was the older daughter, and she assumed the responsibilities that culture dictated for the host or hostess of the house. And so when it says she welcomed him, uh, she received him in her house, that means she accepted the responsibilities of a hostess for the in the culture. And it was a very shameful thing to not fulfill those responsibilities. So she received him in her house. She accepted the responsibility and the obligation to take care of him. 
Verse 39, and she had a sister called Mary, who also, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now again, this is the same Mary that is in other places. A couple of places, uh, it doesn't name her, but as you study that verse and compare it in other situations, you find out the same person. Uh, and Martha, but Martha was cumbered about much serving. And after some period of time in her frustration, she came to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me alone to serve? My sister has abandoned me to the work. She's left me to do all of this by myself. Don't you care about what I'm going through as I am serving you and performing my duties and obligations to you. Don't you care about me? <laughs> and she said, bid her therefore that she help me. And the word bid in the Greek means command her to quit wasting her time sitting here just listening to you talk and come in here and help me. Now, we all know a lot of people who are Christians that are just like that. Maybe that kind of describes you. Because those who are trying to work their way to heaven always feel like they're alone and doing what they're doing. They're carrying the whole load by themselves. And they're not really serving they're serving God and they're, they're doing the obligation. They're trying to accomplish what they try hard to do that. She was very exasperated. But then Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful, full of care and troubled. And that means that your inside is clouded. The, the Greek word, according to Strong's, I think it is, says this word means turbid. That's when the water is all stirred up so that the sediment clouds the water and you can't see through it. So you're full of care and your mind and spirit is clouded or confused. Thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. I mentioned this in a previous lesson, but here it is again. The Greek is literally, of one, there is need. So, Martha, you need help serving and fulfilling the obligations that you're working so hard to do. But there's only one who is needed, and it's not a thing, it's a, it's a person. It's him, the Lord Jesus Christ. the God the Father manifests in the flesh. And Mary has chosen that good part. Mary has chosen the good part. Or the good share, the good portion. Mary has chosen it. She made a choice. She, it is obvious that she knew there was work to be done. 
but her love for me and desire to have a relationship with me spiritually is so great that she chose being over doing. Now, again, before somebody says, oh boy, he's preaching bad doctrine here. If I am, if I be, if I have a relationship with him, then I'm going to be doing plenty, but he will be doing it through me. I'm not going to be doing it for him to earn his compliment. And this happened, of course, before Lazarus died that we read about in John 11. And so Martha's the one that sent the message to Jesus when Lazarus was sick. Your friend is sick. Again, more obligation. Your friend is sick. Come. Well, he didn't. Lazarus died. Jesus shows, Jesus comes after he died. Here comes Martha getting in his face. If you had been here, he would have died. He, he would, would not have died. And she said something she didn't even believe. You're the resurrection of life, you know. But she left Jesus and went and told Mary, uh, the one you love is here. You know, the one that you chose over me that didn't come through for us and let our brother die, uh, he's here. So that proof, the way she approached Jesus and then the way she approached Mary about Jesus proved that she hadn't gotten over the sting of Jesus' words. Now, obviously, his words convicted her, but she didn't like it. And there's no proof she really responded to that. And if you read her words to Jesus when she first confronts him, just reading it, uh, it appears as though she had faith. But you, if you look deeper into what she said and the attitude behind what she said, she didn't really. She didn't really. Now, then comes the, the situation where later on in John, I think it was, that uh, it was in the same house uh, that she washed Jesus' feet with tears and dried his feet with his hair, her hair, and put ointment on him. Well, that's just like the one in Simon the Pharisee's house uh, that got in the house and was able to wash his feet even though she was a sinner. <laughs> How does a sinner get in a Pharisee's house? There's only one way. She was the disenfranchised, rejected daughter who had disappointed her Pharisee dad and was kicked out. But somehow she gained entrance because the Pharisee wasn't going to make a show of it in front of Jesus. He wasn't happy about it. Wasn't happy about it. Knowing and loving Jesus is a choice that produces a commitment to invest time with him. 
Yes, the scripture says, and I've quoted these verses before many times, in at thy right hand, at the exercise of your power and authority, there are pleasures forevermore. But there is preparation for that. Thou wilt show me the path of life. The path of life isn't the second one alone. The first one is, in thy presence is fullness of joy. Then, at thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Both of these are necessary. But the first one is to know Jesus so that if I'm used by Jesus, him using me is based on my relationship with him rather than seeking to be used of him and hoping that maybe possibly somehow I will have some kind of relationship with him. The path of life is investing time in the presence of Jesus, not doing, and then let him do the doing, be the being, and let him do the doing through you. Let him do the doing, but he'll do it through you after you're involved in the being. In thy presence is fullness of joy. So what does it say? Here's the path to the path of life. This is the path to the path of life. Uh, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves, first step, and pray, second step, and seek my face, relationship with me, that will then cause them to be changed I've got to repent in the humbling, but by prayer and then seeking his face, which is more than prayer, it's fellowshipping with him, then I can be changed. And those things will then bring me to the place where he will hear my prayers and forgive my sins and Work healing in the land through me, through you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that the Spirit of God and the grace of God would give you the empowerment to make the choice, to, to make to be empowered to choose relationship with Jesus, being who you're supposed to be in Him before you're involved in the doing that he will do through you as you grow in your relationship with him. God bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.